Hello there, I'm Liam Garrity and welcome to Scale by Intercom. Scale is our dedicated content resource on the Inside Intercom blog, where you'll find an abundance of materials, podcasts included, of course, that explore how businesses are driving growth through customer relationships. On this week's show, we're chatting to Little Otter CEO and co-founder Rebecca Egger about how she went from tech entrepreneur to mental health children's startup founder. Before building a pediatric mental health company with her mother, world-renowned psychiatrist Dr. Helen Egger, Rebecca spent more than a decade working in medical technology, specializing in product design, most recently working with the Chan Zuckerberg Institute. We chatted with Rebecca about how technology is transforming the provision of healthcare. It's a really interesting listen, which we hope you'll enjoy. And if you do, we'd love it if you left us a review. It helps to spread the word about our show. Okay, let's get over to the studio. Rebecca, we are delighted to welcome you to the show today. To kick things off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so my background, I am obviously currently the CEO and co-founder of the digital health company, Little Otter. But previously, I have a background in computer science, physics, actually, and product design and graphic design. And before building Little Otter, I was leading the infectious disease program at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, which is obviously very, very relevant work. And before that, I was at Palantir and a few startups doing doing various things. But all of that work, you know, gave me a lot of experience to, to build Little Otter. For sure. And actually, so on Little Otter, which you co-founded last year in the middle of a pandemic of all things, just for our listeners, could you explain what Little Otter is? Yeah, Little Otter is a digital mental health company for families with children zero to 12 years old. So we provide assessments and mental health care, tele-mental health care uh, to families and children. So we match them to the right types of support. We provide parent coaching, therapy, couples counseling, or psychiatry services as needed, uh, evidence-based care, fully digital. So was it a big challenge starting a company in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, you know, it... It's really interesting because I had decided to do Little Otter before the pandemic even started to emerge. So I had already decided to leave my position at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. I felt like it was time. Little Otter was something, you know, I founded this company with my my mom, Dr. Helen Egger. And this is something that we had been talking about for a very, very long time. So I actually, about a year, two years before we really took the plunge, I was kind of helping her in a consulting capacity to think about how would you build a company? What would that look like? And about a year into doing all the research and support for her, I stepped back and really after I kind of built out the business model and started just deeply caring about this and doing user <laughs> interviews and realizing the market, I was like, wait, I, I want to do this. So the most interesting thing is that we've always wanted to be fully telemedicine, right? We never wanted brick and mortar uh, locations. And in February, you know, 2020, when I started to fundraise for our pre-seed round, I was met with a lot of questions around that. And so actually the pandemic just accelerated us being able to really do what we had wanted to do in the first place. And I actually worry 
think it was a good lesson for me as a CEO because I think if the pandemic hadn't happened, I may have been convinced um, that we would have to do, you know, brick and mortar when in, in reality, this is really the way that we needed to go. Right. So like, how has it been going so far? It's been incredible. You know, I think we're building a company during this time is very interesting. I think that we, because we're running a fully telemedicine service and we have a fully remote team, it's, you know, been because we've set it up to be remote first, it's been great to build a team that way. Also, there's just massive amounts of need. I think our biggest you know, issue right now, and I talk about this all the time, is there's so much need and awareness that's emerging in this space. And how do we prioritize and effectively you know, support the families in the most efficient way? And grow our product without, you know, sacrificing any types of quality. So how do you go about kind of doing that? How do you go about kind of trying to address the kids' mental health epidemic? So the first issue with the mental health epidemic is that families, so caregivers, but also pediatricians, teachers, don't have the tools to identify if issues are existent, especially with younger children. And that is really where Dr. Egger, my my mom's experience comes in, right? Because when you're looking at a four-year-old or a three-year-old who's having a tantrum, they can't tell you, you know, I'm depressed. They express their feelings in different ways. And even though that they have mental health disorders at the same rates as adults, it's very hard to identify what's going on. And we also know that early intervention matters. So we're first addressing the problem by creating better ways, you know, to make it really, really easy for families to sign up for our product and get immediate feedback to say, should I worry? You know, is this something that I need to, you know, get coaching, parent coaching Mm. for, or is this a serious problem that might need therapy and medication? For sure. And I suppose one of the things I kind of wanted to talk to you about was your journey to this point you know, from tech entrepreneur to mental health children's startup founder. <laughs> so I suppose before we kind of get to this point where we are now in your career journey, I just really wanted to ask you about one of the earliest things you did, because <laughs> I personally find it so fascinating that you were part of a gamma ray burst astrophysics research team focused on uh, gamma ray bursts and the prompt telescope network in Chile. Like this sounds incredible <laughs> to me. What was that like? Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I'm going to kind of start my journey a little bit earlier and give credit where credit is due. Oh, sure. So I grew up in North Carolina and was lucky enough to go to the North Carolina School of Science and Math, which is a completely free magnet boarding school that started, there was one that started in North Carolina. It's in a few other states, but it's for juniors and seniors and has an amazing, amazing science program. And they even had, you know, a telescope there. It's in downtown Durham, actually. And that was really where I was able to take very advanced classes. And I fell Mm. in love with physics and was able to just take every physics class that I could imagine. And so when I entered and went into UNC, 
you know, I really, I thought that I was like, I'm going to live my life in a telescope. I'm going to (laughs) write papers because it's like the coolest, right? And what I realized while working on this is the reason I was so interested in it is actually it had a lot of the same elements of software. Um, Bear with me. I promise this makes sense. Where (laughs) it's a very visual science, right? Mm -hmm. It's about analyzing images and looking at, you know, you're looking at data, but you're really taking pictures. And I was really into graphic design. And then there's also the element of computer science, statistics, programming. And you're also dealing with the world's coolest problems, right? Like what existed before us? What is going to exist after? Anyway, I was lucky enough to join this amazing research team, which is still one of the best research teams at UNC. And yeah, their, their big work was in gamma ray bursts. So recording some of the earliest things that we've ever been able to record in the universe. So they, you know, sponsored a group of telescopes, the telescope, the prompt telescopes in Chile. And, you know, those can be used and rented out by other groups. But the minute that they sense a gamma ray burst, everything stops and all everything <laughs> focus, focuses on them. I just keep thinking about, you know, all these very sci-fi movies where you kind of see people huddled around in these rooms waiting for that, you know, signal to come through. And then it's like panic stations as everyone tries. Yeah. Is, is it anything like that? It's it's 100% like that. Like we would get alerts and because you, you don't know when they're going to happen. Right. And so it would be completely random. But I still think like the coolest thing was that when I was, you know, I was a sophomore in college and on my like laptop, I could log into these telescopes and take pictures of, you know, these crazy supernova remnants. And that was, of you know, or like Saturn. And it was just a way to impress people. But the reason why I didn't continue doing that, (laughs) there is a reason, I promise. And it actually is also relevant (laughs) to my work at CCI and Little Otter is I loved it. And the people on the, the team were amazing. But I realized I really didn't want to do academia and I felt like physics was just kind of limiting. I wanted to do a more creative thing. And so Mm. actually the reason I ended up doing computer science and graphic design was because I wanted to stay in my position in the lab. So I wanted to do a major that could let me still do relevant work, but wasn't as focused on physics. So I ended up doing computer science and then ended up publishing a paper with them and working there throughout my, throughout my years at UNC. Wow. So after that, then you worked with Registered Creative Co. and then launched a one-person consulting business, Egger Designs. And <laughs> what what were those kind of early days like? Yeah. So, you know, I think this is just a huge, you know, lesson in finding advocates and people who believe yeah. in you. Because the reason that I started doing design was actually one of my very close friends was like running for student body president at UNC and was like, yeah, you're, you actually could do design. Like, let me pay you for a logo, you know? And then I started my own freelance business. And then of course he was the first investor in Little Otter when I announced it. And so it was, you know, a nice way to show that people, you know, support you from the very beginning. But yeah, I mean, I kind of just built up doing a lot of design work, became really self-taught. And then I went to registered creative and became a web designer, but then really, really wanted to get into software and product design. And so I ended up joining a startup and, and coming to San Francisco. How did you find the startup experience or the, the startup life? 
Yeah. I mean, I loved it. So that's also a crazy story. I feel like my, my entire career has been a lot of cold emails, pretty much leading to a lot of opportunities. Um, so what ended up happening is, you know, I had a computer science degree. I could do design. I had just graduated from UNC and I had some friends in San Francisco who were like, you should probably come out here. Like you should probably join a startup. Like people are looking for people who can code. And my friend just convinced me. I literally went on angel list and just like sent cold emails to every company that I thought was looked cool. And I said, I'm going to be in San Francisco for a week. These are my, you know, this is my experience. (laughs) Slept on my friend's couch. By the end of that week, I had four offers because now what I know, right, as a startup founder is that you are desperate and (laughs) you need people who are ambitious and will just get shit done. Pardon me. I hope I can say that. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And yeah, but it was really exciting for me. And so then I I quit my job and just moved, moved out to San Francisco. And I loved, you know, I loved being part of a startup, I think that my, part of the reason why I love doing Little Otter is like, I think the most exciting time is really even the zero to one of when you're just trying to figure out like, how am I going to make this thing work? How do you take Mm. nothing and make something that, that people love? So then I suppose after that period, that kind of brings us to the Chan Zuckerberg initiative. And for anyone who doesn't know, it was founded in 2015 by Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg to help solve some of society's toughest challenges, like eradicating disease and improving education. And Rebecca, you joined as a product and program lead in the area of infectious disease. How did that come about? And what was it like? Yeah. So, you know, you kind of missed over, I did it about two and a half years of Palantir, which were also very, very formative and amazing. And I would say also the biggest kind of just like throw you in a fire, learn how to be successful. But, you know, I think after my time at Palantir, which was amazing, but I was traveling a lot, a lot, a lot. I really wanted to, you know, find some stability and kind of work on one project for a longer set of time. And the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, and I'll call it CZI, had just started. And, you know, they were hiring their first product managers. So I started as a product manager. And once again, just like the stars massively aligned where I obviously wanted to also get back to my roots in science, right? They were starting this science initiative and I still you know, really missed working with scientists, missed my lab at UNC, et cetera. And when I joined, I was like the second product manager in the science initiative and had an amazing group of people who were like, hey, we, you know, gave some money. And by some, I mean a ton because it's, you know, the Zuckerbergs to the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub, which is this amazing group of scientists. We want to do something with them you know, figure it out, (laughs) Mm. which to me, you know, here's some amazing engineers who are also working on this space. Here's kind of your initial team. We don't really know. And so for me, it was like a dream come true, right? It was like some of the most brilliant engineers I've ever worked with, amazing scientists. And they were like, make something that people actually want that is helpful. 
And that's really how we ended up building. And then, you know, I really took that and ended up building the infectious disease program while I was there. So like you say, you know, you're working on this tool to help scientists kind of better understand diseases. And I believe that's something like very close to your own heart, like from a piece that I, that I read and your own family with, with your brother's experience. And I was wondering if you might be able to tell us a little bit about his story. Yeah. And, I, and it's also very, very relevant to Little Otter, right? I think that it's, it's the catalyst for my mom also wanting to start Little Otter and really change kind of our trajectory out of the family. So my little brother, when he was 13, was diagnosed with autoimmune encephalitis. And, you know, it shows up as psychosis. And at the time, my mom was head of child psychiatry at, at Duke and, you know, had done a bunch of grants with the neuroscience folk, et cetera. And she knew that it was not a psychiatric issue, right? It really seemed to be something that, Mm. you know, was something else was going on. But even with her experience as a doctor, with her, you know, experience in the institution, she was faced with so much, there was so much distrust in her. And, you know, we luckily had the privilege and experience that we could advocate for my brother's care. But most families are not that lucky, right? And so as what my mom says, which I think is true, she's like, my son is alive because I am I am his mother. And every parent wow. should have that, you know, wow. shouldn't yeah. have to feel that way. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that episode two of Offscript, our new series of candid conversations with Intercom, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing, is out now on YouTube. Here's a teaser featuring our chief product officer, Paul Adams, discussing AI-first customer service. The best place for me to start is that technology only moves in one direction. Once you go through these like before-after moments, you never go back. AI has clearly already shown us that it can help in transformational ways. It has given us a new way to do customer service. And that new way is AI first. The business that provides incredible customer service is the business that will win. And the earlier that people lean into this completely new mindset, earlier they can deliver this incredible holy grail type of customer experience. It's a huge opportunity for businesses to literally change how people think about them. It's just a matter of time. That's all to come on episode two of Offscript. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel right now and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So we're at this point where tech is transforming, you know, the provision of healthcare in so many ways. And it's funny that like just a few years ago, all the talk was of like keyhole surgery, but now we've moved on from that and to artificial intelligence and 3D printing and even robot assisted surgery. I just wanted to get your sense of this and like where we are right now with, with all of that. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because medicine is in some ways is very, very advanced, right? There's some pockets of it that there's incredible things that are being done, but kind of what I experienced at CZI and also with Little Otter is that it's available to very few, right? It's, there's amazing research and work getting done and there's this amazing technology and AI, but the hard part is how do you actually make that accessible and scalable and get it in the hands of people who really, really need it? 
right? And I think that this is just my own personal philosophy. And I think it's the reason why I couldn't myself be an academic is like, Mm. I love thinking and I love that scientists exist, but I believe that my purpose is it doesn't really matter as long until people really get it, right? And they have the effects of it. And so I still think that that translation, it's so hard to do that. And I think that with little Otter, you know, so my, for example, my, my mom, she has done, you know, some of the only studies on artificial intelligence to diagnose and identify autism in young children. She created the first research kit app with Apple to do this, a machine learning way to look at videos of young children. You know, she created this lab called the Wonder Lab to create these assessment tools for families while she was at NYU, which is this incredible, incredible work. But the average person doesn't even know that that's possible, right? Mm. And how do we make sure that, you know, this work that's being done in the laboratory setting is available to other people? And that, once again, was my work at CZI was the product that I developed ended up identifying the first strains of COVID in Bangladesh and in Cambodia. Wow. And that was because that technology existed, but it only existed in labs in the U.S., right? And Mm. so it's awesome that it exists there, but it's not actually helping the people where the disease is emerging, right? Yeah. And so I think my answer to all of that is this work is amazing and needs to be happening, but I also think that people need to be figuring out how do we make it accessible and available to really impact people's lives. 100%. And kind of what you mentioned earlier, you know, about COVID and your experience with it with Little Otter, like COVID has obviously accelerated things in this space. I'm just wondering, like, what has the impact been and what are the changed expectations amongst patients? You know, is is there a gulf between what patients expect and what is or or can be provided? Yeah, you know, I think, but even before COVID, once again, we were entering a new era where I'd say millennials are more comfortable with telemedicine, right? And are seeing that there's benefits to it. I also think there's more of an expectation. If someone doesn't have a way that I can email them, I'm probably not going to work with them, right? I don't pick up the phone very often. That sounds (laughs) horrible. So I think that those expectations have already been, been put into place. In terms of mental health care, I just think that the conversation has changed that families are realizing, are able to talk about it more. This always existed, but the stigma is decreasing. And so I think that that's what kind of the message that we're getting from families is that they're excited to embrace a new way of supporting their families and you know, translating all of the work that has already been done in the adult mental health space and making it available for children. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, what you see as the big challenges that companies are facing in relation to virtual healthcare as data is is leveraged to improve services. Is there going to be, you know, is that going to be tricky, do you think? Yeah. Well, well, I think I think this is kind of the the important question, especially for mental health care. And it goes back to your previous question about, you know, kind of AI services is how much of human interaction can actually be replaced, right? And how much do we want the human 
touch to be replaced, right? Because in some Mm -hmm. cases, you know, an AI therapist or an AI counselor can support certain issues. But in many cases, you therapy works because it's about connection with another person, right? And it's a long-term relationship. And so I think the benefit is that for a large amount of services, we can increase access by making things more automated, by leveraging data, by improving efficiency. And that's, you know, a big thing that we're doing at Little Otter. But you also have to recognize that there's always going to be instances where people will have to go to a doctor's office, right? Will have Mm. to meet with a, with a person. And I think the downside is what you'll see. And, you know, we're one of the few digital mental health companies that was actually founded by a, a doctor. And what I worry is, you know, as things get more and more pervasive in this space um, and more people enter it, people already now don't know what good versus bad mental health care is, right? Because yeah. it's hard to tell and it only works if it's done properly and scientifically. Sure. Yeah. So I think that's also a big question we're going to have to grapple with. And I suppose off the back of that, like in this space, we hear a lot about the benefits for older people who live alone, kind of having a doctor regularly checking in via video consultation. And we hear, read and see a lot about that. But what about children? How can telehealth services, you know, support a family's mental wellness? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that to us is really why we designed Little Otter to be this kind of family first in your home model, right? Is that just like kind of with elder care, with families, you don't know when issues are going to come up, right? They don't happen on a schedule. It's, you know, one day things are going to be fine. The next day there's a meltdown. So how do you make it so it's more an, you know, asynchronous on-demand service that says, yeah, you can just, you know, we have met many of our families text videos of a tantrum to their provider and are like, right. how was I supposed to handle this? Right. Mm-hmm. And that is a much better way of getting care than, well, I hope you take notes and you're going to come to my office in a week, you know, and we'll talk about it. And something our yeah. providers also get, and you can see people's homes and kind of like the elder care situation. It's like, how do you make sure that you're providing support that actually works with a family that's not just seeing someone in this isolated environment that, you know, isn't a real, a realistic expectation? So just to wrap up, what's next? You know, have you any big plans or projects for 2021? (laughs) We're building Little Otter to be the go-to mental health service for families under the age of 12 everywhere, right? And we want to change the way that people think about mental health. We want, you know, families and children to identify issues earlier. We want people to be proud that they were little otter kids or (laughs) part of our membership. And I know that's what every CEO says, but I think like we're entering in a really new, a new wave and have a huge opportunity to like, just think about this all the time of like, what if we had a generation that had access to mental health care earlier, right? How would that change, you know, the world in the next 10 to 15 years? So building that, which is incredible challenge and fun. And then in the next year, you know, 
even in the next month, we're really focused on back to school and this transition after the past year and how do we best support families? You know, there's so much uncertainty. So how do we create a service that kind of embraces this moment and meets families where they are while is also thinking long-term, right? Because you know, mm. hopefully we'll be getting out of this. And so how do we you know, meet the moment and then also provide care that can scale and be sustainable? So a lot of building, a lot of awareness. Yeah. And I just, I just hope that, you know, we can, we can reach as many families as, as you need us. Yeah. Sounds great. And so lastly, then just where can our listeners go to keep up with you on your work? Yeah. So you can find me, um, I'm on Twitter at Rebecca Egger, um, obviously on LinkedIn as well. And Little Otter is on LinkedIn. And then you can learn more about Little Otter at littleotterhealth.com. We have tons and tons of resources for parents. We have a free tantrum screen for kids two to six to help identify if you know tantrums are normal or something you should worry about. We'll be releasing our back to school mental health toolkit in two weeks, and we'll be making a lot of announcements about that. And then we're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and everything as well. Brilliant. Well, Rebecca, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Rebecca Egger. If you don't want to miss out on any upcoming episodes, make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us now.